511. Warning. Access restricted. Please submit to DNA. Verification. Processing. Verification complete. Access granted. Welcome. Hello and welcome to the Monitor Room at the Christian Geek Central Podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live increasingly for Christ, experiencing the life-giving freedom and purpose He has made us for. For more information about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out spiritblade.com on the show today my reviews of the movie cube which is now like a sci-fi cult classic that uh, i would recommend checking out and i'll tell you why in just a little bit as well as a review of the uh, diablo clone uh, rpg flare as we continue celebrating the summer of free plus a review of the christian audiobook mission trip and the start of our study through the book of proverbs here we go Rejoice, ye penny-pinching nerds! Rejoice! For this is a season unbound by our bank accounts, unfettered by fees! A legendary age of liberty! This is the Summer of Free! We're back into the Summer of Free uh, this time around, and... I want to actually highlight and kind of do an abbreviated review of a movie and a video game that I think are worth checking out that I've definitely enjoyed. The movie that I want to highlight this time around is Cube. This one was released in way back in 1997 and spawned two sequels. You can watch Cube at voodoo.com, V-U-D-U.com, as well as tubitv.com, T-U-B-I. TV.com, where you can also watch uh, the sequels Cube 2 Hypercube and Cube Zero. Uh, the synopsis given on IMDb for the original Cube is six complete strangers of widely varying personality characteristics are involuntarily placed in an endless maze containing deadly traps. Uh, and if that sounds familiar, it, I mean, it's because it's, a, it's a, a formula we've seen modified and used again and again, I think, in a number of movies, but Cube was one of the first ones that I can remember using that formula, especially with any kind of like a sci-fi or technological kind of vibe to it. This is a, a sci-fi slash suspense slash horror movie. Horror not in the sense of like, you know, monsters and stuff, but horror more in the sense of like uh, people die in terrible, terrible ways. Um, now that premise might seem kind of formulaic, and I think that's because it helped define the modern version of this formula, you know, where one or more people find themselves in a sort of deadly alien environment uh, prepared by some unknown enemy. Uh, they're getting picked off one by one before clearly presenting a strong t stereotype of some kind. The, the dialogue and personality types in Cube as I watch it now, feel very unnatural and overstated to me. I don't think they did at the time. I think part of that is because uh, at the time it came out, I, I saw it maybe just a couple years after it was released, I think. And at the time, it, it, was, it, it didn't seem that way. I think 
Uh, there, there weren't as many indie sci-fi movies being made of this kind of quality. If you watch it now, I think it's st- it still kind of looks like a, uh, a like almost like a TV movie or a TV a long TV episode that would have been produced around that same time. But I mean, around you know like the late '90s, there wasn't even uh, much sci-fi that was of you know TV budget quality in terms of the visuals. You know, so I think if you go in now with the uh, those kinds of expectations of, okay, this is going to be like a 90-minute TV episode of pretty solid sci-fi from the, you know, mid to late 90s. I think if you go in with those expectations, then I think there's there's definitely some things to appreciate here. The predicament, to me, is still an interesting one, so I still enjoyed my viewing of the movie as I watched it again. I still enjoyed the tension as they entered each new room and trying to figure out, does this one have traps in it? You know, what is the secret to survive and try to escape this, this strange cube structure? Having seen it already, I do have to say that it was better in my memory than it was this time around when I just watched it again. But if it had been my first time watching it, I think I still would have endured the uh, the script, uh, which specifically the dialogue was rubbing me the wrong way, you know, and the uh, the performances, which I'll get to in a minute. I think I would have endured that to see the the, the suspenseful puzzle through to the end and see who was going to survive and stuff like that. Uh, it's also worth watching, I think, as a sort of precursor and likely inspiration to like the Saw film series. And there's probably one or two other movies that uh, I, I can't bring to mind right now that certainly borrow from uh, this kind of formula. And uh, uh, Saw, as you may or may not know, also combined deadly trap environments and kind of morality lessons with these strongly stated character stereotypes thrown into the mix. So uh, you can kind of get a sense of where uh, a lot of those kinds of movies took their inspiration from. Certainly there were other, you know, uh, I think there's like maybe uh, one or one or more Hitchcock movies that had done this thing before, but I I mean the the modern kind of like uh, resurgence of this kind of story, uh, I think owes a good amount to Cube, so uh, definitely worth checking out. The the cast might also be of note to you. I'm going to probably mispronounce her name, but Nicole DeBoer... She was uh, on Deep Space Nine, you may know her from that, and she was like the second Dax. You know, there was Jadzia or Jadzia, I think it's Jadzia, Jadzia Dax, and then that actress went on to, I guess, be in a Ted Danson comedy or something. She stopped being on uh, Deep Space Nine. They replaced the actress and kind of the character as well with this uh, younger host for the symbiote, and... um, and her, I can't remember what her name was, but anyway, this is her. She also, I believe, was the, uh, the kind of like the, the romantic interest in the Dead Zone TV series after this. So she'll probably have a familiar face to you if you've checked out either of those uh, those shows. Uh, and then the other familiar face maybe to you would be David Hewlett, who was in Stargate Atlantis, would be my guess, is what he's most well known for now. Uh, Hewlett was actually the best part for me in my rewatching of it. I don't I don't think he stood out to me when I watched it for the first time way back when, but this time around he stood out to me. And I think it's because performance styles have changed in movies and in this kind of movie over the years to be more uh, dramatic and more understated or I don't, I don't maybe I shouldn't say that they've changed but there's been more of that kind of acting that's been brought to sci-fi more kind of like serious and weighted uh you know if you think of a show like Battlestar Galactica where they had this sci-fi environment and yet they were having these these actors really do some serious heavy drama type stuff you know and before 
that kind of thing was happening in sci-fi movies and television, um, there was uh, some kind of like overacting that was more common in science fiction. And I think that's kind of what I'm feeling here that's kind of grating on me a little bit. I'm not saying that the actors were bad. I actually think it's a this is a stylistic thing that they were either going for or it was just the norm of the day. Uh, but the, the performances to me felt a bit overdone as though the actors were doing a stage play. And I think it would have felt right to me in that setting. But the style was a big distraction for me here in this view through especially when it comes to the main quote-unquote villain of the story uh who's bulging wide eyes and constantly dramatic almost i'm wondering if he has a background in mime he was in the robocop prime directives tv you know miniseries in which he eventually played someone who had been put through the robocop process and stuff and so he almost i could see some of those kind of like smooth robotic and very strongly stated motions in kind of like the way he used his body i could see some of that here and it just it felt uh, overstated. It felt like too much. So um, so the performances I had a little bit of trouble with in this one. But again, David Hewlett stood out to me because he was understated. He was the one guy that was like... And he had a defeatist attitude. So he's he's kind of like, you know, down and laid back and low energy. And it's just like, guys, we're not going to make it out of here, you know. Um, but he's uh, he, he kind of emer- starts to emerge as a core character in this ensemble cast. And so uh, it was nice to have him in so much of, uh, of the movie um let's see here as far as the visuals go this this is one reason i really still appreciate this movie it's it's a the visual look of the movie is a big selling point for me the shooting just from like if you're into like uh how movies are made and can appreciate when people take a small budget and do a lot with it then i think this movie's definitely worth watching that the shooting style does dip into artistic angles more than i would prefer but they at least help to uh make the movie kind of striking and varied as they needed to i think because there's basically one single set that is used to represent multiple rooms from beginning to end they're in each room is a cube shape and it's part of a larger cube structure made of a whole bunch of cubes that connect to each other other cube rooms that connect to each other so they're trying to find their way out of this massive cube with cubes within a cube you know structure uh and so they're using the same set to represent every single one of these rooms with only the color of the lights changing basically to differentiate one cube shaped room from another the simplistic set is so impressively used that i totally bought into the idea of the characters moving through numerous identical rooms in the same giant cube like structure so uh that was that was really cool um let's see the score is sparse but it has a creepy human produced quality to it they use human noises human whisperings and stuff like that that gives it a unique and memorable vibe to it i think um as far as like memorable like themes that might uh, bring out worthwhile moral philosophical or spiritual uh thinking you know that might trigger trigger some worthwhile thought here the usual morality plays are present that you would see in a movie that uses this formula there you know this character's greedy this one's a snob this one's abusive this one is innocent this one's complacent I've seen so many horror movies that use character types this way that it just kind of went in one ear, out the other. But in one moment, as they talked about the nature of the cube structure and its origins and speculating on why this is here, who made it, you know, it seemed clearly meant to represent the evils of the world that we collectively allow to get out of control because we are just each of us fixated only on the limited space around us. And so we don't see this rising evil, this rising problem 
uh, building up around us until it's too late and it becomes the death of us. The call to the uh, of the movie to its audience seems to be to kind of wake up and pay attention to the world around us so that we don't allow evil to have its way or so that we don't unwittingly contribute to that evil. I'm uncomfortably reminded of how little I actually put effort into staying aware of current events and how content I am to uh, merely stay informed about inconsequential things like what movies, games, or TV shows you know are in the works and just kind of justify my uh, my neglect of staying informed in world events by you know the obvious bias that we can find all over you know uh, in in news outlets. I easily let you know let that justify my my neglect, and really I shouldn't. And uh, and so this message was, I think, a worthwhile one, and I honestly hope that it'll kind of stay with me and and get me back to uh, thinking about current events and how I can be more aware of them. Uh, it's rated R for some strong violence, uh, sci- sci-fi violence, gore, and language. All right, so those are my thoughts on the movie that I would highlight for you. And again. Cube is available at VUDU.com and TUBITV.com, where you can also watch the sequels to Cube. All right, moving along here, I would want to highlight to you a video game called Flare, uh, specifically the Empyrean Campaign, which is spelled E-M-P-Y-R-E-A-N, E-M-P-Y-R-E-A-N, Flare. Um, and you can find this at flarerpg.org. It's a completely free, open-source Diablo clone. It has visual fidelity that's on par with Diablo 1 or Diablo 2, but I would say lacking the same style and visual identity of those games. Um, the combat is simple, with uh, meaningful individual enemy encounters, which I appreciate, because as starting with like maybe Diablo 3... Um, these dungeon crawling like hack and slash Diablo clones, top down action RPG type things, they tend to really rely on swarming enemies to make the game challenging or difficult or whatever. And I much prefer games like Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance or Champions of Norath where there are fewer enemies on screen at once and those enemies are each by themselves a larger threat. Uh, and this, you know, I'm not talking like Dark Souls, but you know, somewhere in between. Uh, and so it's not Swarm the Superhero in this game. It's uh, it's less about quick thinking in, you know, in the middle of a chaotic screen environment and more about pressing your luck with resources. Like, okay, I have this many health potions. I have th- this much money. Uh, how much experience grinding can I get out of this run out in the forest or in the dungeon before I need to teleport back and, uh, you know, get more healing potions and, and upgrade my equipment and stuff like that. When you die, you keep all of your equipment, but you lose half of your gold. Enemies respawn so that you can keep on, you know, doing that grind as much as you want. And looting, I felt, was satisfying without overwhelming you with crap that you're just going to be selling anyway. Um, it uses a musical score and user interface elements that are clearly inspired by, inspired by Diablo. So, I mean, if you're looking for a game that has some of that kind of vibe for free, then uh, then go over to flare.org and uh, you probably have an option there to check out you know you can play a game like path of exile and that's going to be a, a a much better game in a ton of ways but 
Flair doesn't even tempt you to spend money on cosmetics or inventory space, which arguably Path of Exile does, you know. So if you were looking for a completely safe option for a hack and slash game that will, you know, help you avoid any and all temptations to spend any kind of money, if you're just in a place where, like, I just need to be away from any kind of temptations to, to spend, I've got to be in a save mode right now, um, then I would definitely recommend checking out Flare. It also takes up far less space on your PC and demands almost nothing um, from your computer compared to a game like Path of Exile. Finally, there's an active mod community, and Flare is in large part intended as an open source tool for uh, creating your own RPGs if you want to go that route. So if you're an aspiring game creator, um, Flare could be a great way for you to get your feet wet. Or you could just use game creation as a summer hobby away from the heat that's easy on your pocketbook. The only real downside I've had with it is that now and then I, I have trouble making contact with enemies when I attack with the magic user class. I can be clicking right on the enemy, but if my body orientation is off, that seems to affect uh, my uh, my ability to land a hit sometimes. I had much less trouble with that using the Ranger class with the bow and arrow, which also has a further range than the default spell attack, and I had almost no problems with that with the melee class, so I think that may be the, the best way to go. Um, I, I forgot to mention about the classes, though. There is a there are three different classes. You know, a magic user, uh, like a ranger class, and a melee class. And the it's not like an extensive skill tree for each of those classes, but enough that I can get out of it what I would want from a certain uh, archetype. You know, the magic user has two different kinds of uh, fire attack spells, two different kinds of ice attack spells, and two different kinds of lightning attack spells. And each one of those can be upgraded to become passively more powerful and then there's also some you know other passive upgrades that you can get for that the range class has as, as you'd expect range attack options but also has like some trap options so even though they don't have like a dedicated thief class or a dedicated assassin class you can have a class that's going to be messing with the environment more and like doing things that will slow down your enemies you know and setting you know doing traps and stuff like that so uh so you can get some of that itch scratched with the ranger class and then as you would guess the melee class is just all about getting up in the enemies and you know doing all kinds of damage and you know stuff like that so um so i think that the class options uh are you know pretty pretty good they're they're not super complex um but i didn't find them to be too minimalistic to keep my interest either. One thing I noticed that I wasn't anticipating, you know, having anything to comment on is uh, something going on thematically in this game. It's interesting to me how pervasive a works-based redemption is in entertainment. In other words, we talk about, you know, characters are always talking about, you know, having to redeem themselves, you know, like if some character goes south in some way, then, you know, they'll they'll feel like they need to redeem themselves, like by sacrificing their lives, or someone else will say you need to, re this could be your redemption, this could be the way you redeem yourself, or the character will say, I have to do this, I have to redeem myself, you know. There's all this kind of natural tendency in uh, our minds to say that our redemption, that our forgiveness, is something that we have to earn. And that's something that you're going to find in, I think, pretty much every world religion except for Christianity. The grace of God, the, the, the forgiveness, the unmerited favor of God is something that is just unique um, to, uh, to Christianity. It's, um, 
And even in this tucked away game in the, in the little corner of the internet, there's a story that requires the hero to earn his redemption through brave deeds of some kind and then a ritual like involving, I think, his own blood or something. So it's it's everywhere. And uh, I'm reminded that it can even steal its way into our minds as believers. Sometimes it can even make its way to our pulpits in our local churches and uh, and all that, despite the fact that the message of the gospel is this tireless mercy and forgiveness for us earned and provided by Jesus. I want to remind you guys to check out the other members of the Christian Geek Central Network, such as the Strangers and Aliens podcast, the Theology Gaming podcast, the Untold podcast, POS, TOS, Helix Reviews, and the Retro Rewind podcast. For more information about the CGC Network, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. Hi guys, this is Katja, call me Kate on the Christian Geek Central forums. Recently I was contacted by Peter to ask if I would be interested in reviewing a sci-fi audiobook by a Christian author for the Christian Geek Central podcast, which of course I was. So I was given a free review copy audiobook and have voluntarily made this review. I was not required to uh, give a positive review and this reflects my honest opinion of the work. I haven't read or listened to many Christian sci-fi novels yet, so I'm not very familiar with the broad spectrum within this genre, if there is one. So I was very curious about Mission Trip, a novel by John Theo, which will take you 6 hours and 41 minutes to finish in audiobook format. I had never read anything like the novel's concept before, as far as its Christian characters are concerned. Let's have a quick summary. In the near future, the USA has grown increasingly left-wing totalitarian. The Constitution has been abolished, and the persecution of Christians was so harsh that they fled the country, following a tech genius who found Christ and built a large underwater city. This is only the backdrop. The actual story takes place decades after that, near the close of the 21st century. By that time, the USA as we know it doesn't exist anymore. The world, or at least the former USA and something called New Europe, is filled with sin and ruled by evil. There are no more personal freedoms, and the only law seems to be survival of the fittest. In this story, unexpectedly, it's the Christians who are doing fine. They have high-tech and state-of-the-art science departments, personal liberties, weapons, and they are living isolated from the rest of the world. Or, as the publisher's summary reads... In the year 2077, the United States has become a post-apocalyptic footnote in the world history books. The only place freedom still exists is in a shielded underwater city called the Atoll, where a group of Christian refugees are trying to start over. The Atoll inhabitants are hated for their freedoms and hunted for their technology, but even in their protective bubble, treachery still finds a way in. My thoughts... As I already stated, I was intrigued by the concept of a world where Christians for once were not the weak ones. With such a concept, the story could have gone in several directions, I think. In this case, the Christians are just like they are today. When they are severely persecuted, they withdraw into a utopian society they are trying to build and maintain, seemingly unaware of history's many lessons that there are no such things as a man-made utopias. They, of course, still have to struggle with their own fallen natures, raw emotions, sinful thoughts, secularism, etc. 
I liked the realism of this scenario. I found it perfectly believable that, once Christians successfully retreated into a literal safe bubble, one of their main spiritual issues would ultimately become a lack of love for the rest of fallen mankind. The same goes for the differences in character and belief. Christians in secular stories are often painted as if from one template, and usually not a very positive one. Not so in this book. There are people who are strong in their belief, people who have doubts, and people who are tempted by, and have fallen to, secularism and atheism. I also had some issues with this story. The characters remain fairly two-dimensional, by which I mean there isn't a lot of character development. Most of them are of one opinion or mindset, and they stick to it throughout the novel. People do not seem to learn anything that results in actual character growth. I liked the main character well enough, although he too wasn't really fleshed out, but it made it difficult for me to root for any of the other characters. There were several decisions made by characters that seemed mainly convenient as a plot device. I can't say more about that because I don't want to spoil anything. And lastly, the novel doesn't seem to have made up its mind about whether it's a study of certain political and philosophical issues or an action sci-fi adventure. Both could be interesting. Focusing on one or the other would help the story gain its feet, in my humble opinion. Narration was fine. I liked the narrator's voice and the tone he chose. There were some issues with accentuating the right words in sentences, which tended to distract me, though not for long. His portrayal of female characters could be better. In conclusion, on the one hand, the characters could have been more three-dimensional. On the other hand, its concept deserves praise for its originality and may lead to very interesting sequels. All in all, this story was perfectly fine. So thank you for listening, guys. Check out my blog at comicsandgadgets.wordpress.com where you'll also find embedded in the post with this review the trailer, the YouTube trailer by the author of this book. So Mission Trip, the trailer. And you can find my reviews also on audible.com where I am Katarina. So check out my listener page if you want to follow me there. So thank you for listening, guys, and tot de volgende keer. Bye-bye. Data collection complete. Activating Usenet 1.0. This week at spiritblade.com, just a reminder that our summer sale is still running, where you can get any or all parts of our Spirit Blade audio drama trilogy for 20% off. You can get more details at spiritblade.com. At youtube.com slash christiangeekcentral this week, I put up the next part of the Games I Love livestream, which I recorded back in February. This one, I ended up just kind of talking with you guys about my huge love for Farscape, as well as a few other random topics and silliness that we meandered into together. So uh, you can see all that. Uh, so far, the feedback I've been getting on that has been positive from you guys. I used to put up those live streams after the fact in edited down segments. And so like an hour of the live stream would be edited down to about a 15 or 20 minute video of what I thought were kind of the moments that were noteworthy or that people would want to watch later on. Uh, the, the route I've been going this time to just experiment as a way to, you know, save time of, out of my schedule, you know, to remove editing time out of my schedule, is to instead just put them up in hour-long blocks at a time, but then also include timestamps with labels 
examples of like the topics that are that are kind of touched on and where they start or the gameplay of a specific game that I'm playing so that uh, people that watch can decide, you know, without me having to edit what exactly they're interested in, what uh, what's noteworthy to them that they would want to watch. So, so far, I've been I, I've only been hearing positive feedback. So uh, if that sounds like uh, something you'd want to interact with, you can go and give that a try. Uh, also, my cube and flare video review is up now, including a trailer for both cube and flare, and then also some gameplay stuff for flare that you might want to see. So all of that over at youtube.com slash Christian geek central. And I really would appreciate it if while you're there, you like share, subscribe and click that little bell icon. Uh, so that you, so that you don't miss uh, the next video when it comes out. Um, I think that's it except to say, if you want to help make sure spirit blade productions can keep doing what we're doing or do more of it, both faster and better you're invited to make a donation of any amount anytime we do have that patreon campaign coming up that i've talked uh, that i've just mentioned briefly there will be more details on that but in the meantime your donations are hugely appreciated you can also still become a part of the spirit blade insider program and get monthly exclusive goodies i I do want to say a special thank you to all of my insiders for your very tangible support guys that makes so much of my work literally possible uh, for more information about becoming a Spirit Blade insider, you can visit our About page at spiritblade.com. As I said, with Patreon coming on, th- there will be some things about the Insider program that will significantly change, but uh, I would still really be grateful for anyone who chose to become a Spirit uh, Blade Insider in the meantime as we uh, still head up to that Patreon campaign, which I think is going to start in August. Anyway, more on that in a little bit. Uh, while you're over at SpiritBlade.com checking that stuff out, of course, you're also invited to support us by purchasing a download of one of our original sci-fi slash fantasy mashup audio dramas for a friend or family member with our available gift codes. Again, for information, visit spiritblade.com and that Spiritblade trilogy 20% off until uh, August 31st. So all that over at spiritblade.com. The truth will set you free. Truth is that which corresponds to fact or reality. To assert that truth is not absolute is a self-defeating proposition. Lots of things are possible, but our beliefs should reflect the best explanation of the available evidence. I'm no expert, but the information is out there. You'd be amazed what you can learn if you spend some time in search of truth. The truth is you Okay, well, right now we're going to attempt to examine the, Bi- the Bible. See, I'm already doing this differently than I'm used to doing it. I examine the Bible and dissect some of the churchy language that we often take for granted, uh, digging into history and languages as we're able to, to try and get at the heart of the text so we can hopefully see and apply some of what God has for us in these words today. And now, we're not formally trained in Scripture. We're just a couple guys using resources and a questioning mind to uh, try and get at the truth. Questioning minds. We have one of those for each of us. And... Uh, <laughs> And that's something that we can all do, so I hope you'll do that with us. I'm Peter France, and I'm way up in the corner here. Hi! Um, I'm saying we and us because I've invited John Wilkerson, who is larger on your screen, uh, if you're watching the YouTube version of this. Um, John's going to help uh, me to look at the, the book of Proverbs with all of you guys. Uh, thank you so much, John, for doing this with me. Hey, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here. I think you mentioned a couple years ago you were thinking about going through Proverbs, and I reached out to you then, so I'm excited to do this. It's been a while. I didn't I didn't realize it had been that long, but I mean, that doesn't surprise me. It's um, 
Um, for those of you who don't know John, um, John's been part of the Christian Geek Central community since long before it was called that. Um, yeah. He's, uh, he's been a podcaster uh, for, uh, for many years. Um, and when, uh, he, when he heard that I was going to take on Proverbs, he had some experience in the book, had been, uh, been through a study several times, and so he offered to kind of help lighten the load for me, as it were. And, uh, um, and I took him up on that offer because... In all my interactions with uh, John on the forums or privately or in all the times I've seen seen him interact with others, um, I, I've just noticed that he's got a, a humble grace and a sensitivity and a self-control that he brings in uh, equal proportion to uh, his wisdom and, and a sort of grounded level-headedness. You're being tested by your praise now here, John. Uh, and uh, um, he's a guy who... Uh, Who's who's uh, lived more life than most people his age? Having now, how, how many kids you have, John? A seven. Seven. Okay, so if that doesn't give you opportunities to stretch and grow, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what does. So yeah. anyway, um, I just thought it was a unique situation and a unique, uh, unique opportunity. So, um, like I said, John, really glad to to have you here with us. Um, the format for this, guys, is going to be different from the normal. Um, study format that I use. You'll notice it maybe even more so if you're watching the YouTube version. I will read some prepared notes of mine now and then. Both John and I have, are bringing notes to this, but much of the time we're just going to try and talk through uh, each chapter of Prober Proverbs and maybe not uh, touch on every verse, but definitely spend time talking about the, the verses and the truths that stand out to us and, uh, and how we see them as relevant to the sort of day-to-day -day grind that we all have to face in our various circles of uh, work or family uh, or uh, social and church life and stuff like that. So um, I want to briefly just give some background on the book of Proverbs. It's a, a mix of seemingly original material and uh, also restatements of Proverbs previously found in literature actually outside of Israel. And uh, this kind of thing is found in other places in Scripture, too. I mean, God doesn't have any problems with appropriating things from pre-existing sources um, into words that he's then directing toward his people. And there's could be multiple reasons for that. Maybe it's easier to uh, teach something using concepts that your audience is already familiar with, uh, or because by God's sovereignty, some truths were just stated well in other places, and so they're just worth repeating as they are. Um, in any case, Regardless of the textual origin, these words are all kind of given God's stamp of approval, as it were, by being included in this book, and were ultimately brought about by his sovereign will and, uh, and inspiration, regardless of their source. Uh, now, the book of Proverbs is traditionally understood to be authored by King Solomon. There has been some disagreement on this point over the years, but more recently, scholars seem to be, in what I've read, increasingly attributing most of the book to Solomon. Um, whatever the particulars of its origin, though, it was recognized as the word of God during and following the time of Christ's ministry on earth. And that's really key. Uh, so in addition to being the words of wise men, Proverbs also faithfully presents the words of God that we can and should still aim to apply appropriately to our lives today. And I want to land on that word appropriately and toss it over to you, John, because you've been through a complete study of Proverbs several times. What would you say are like some general uh, tips or that, that you've picked up or pitfalls you've learned to avoid when navigating your way through this book? Well, I, I think the, the biggest tip, number one, is that we need to realize when, when we're looking at Proverbs and we're reading Proverbs, especially in English, that the English meaning of a word is not necessarily the meaning of the word in the original language. 
And so it's important to, to really look and see what that original language actually said, because translators, they, they do the best that they can to get that across, but it doesn't always come across. We also need to keep in mind um, the people that this was written to and the mindset that they had and their culture and how that is very foreign to us who live in a Western world. And don't, I mean, you do hear a lot about patriarchy now, but it's nothing like it was back then. And so th that factors into that as well. And also, um, you know, just that um, one of the things we need to see is that there is um, not everything here is necessarily biblical advice or spiritual advice. There's practical advice, and sometimes it's just observations that Solomon made, like um, we'll get once we get way down there about how he recognizes how bribes work in politics and things like that. So, so oftentimes people will will take a they'll they'll pluck a little couplet out of Proverbs and say, "Oh, this is a promise for me," you know, and and, and it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so those are important things to think, and um, I really like the fact that, um, you know. These proverbs, they're kind of these pithy sayings, kind of like, here's what, here's one that I, th I think David Guzik used this in, in his commentary notes. Many hands make light work. That's a proverb that we know, but too many cooks spoil the broth. So, so, so it's, it's kind of, it, sometimes Solomon makes these statements and they're either just observations or things like that. And it's not a, it's not a spiritual um, a prescription for us. It's a dis or it could just be a description of something. And, and, and it's important to kind of figure out w where exactly that's going on and, and not take, take a general principle and apply it to spiritual matters. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the thing about promises too, because I think, uh, there can be, a uh, a mode of thinking where you know you look at proverbs and say, okay, this is how this is things are always going to be, you know, and it's and instead it's laying down a principle of how things tend to right. be um, under you know a number of circumstances, but it's not like uh, and this also isn't a book that like is a recipe for winning at life, you know, whatever, and, and you know, winning at life, or what is according to whose definition, definition of right. winning and stuff like that, you know, and so, um, that said, it certainly, I mean, wisdom certainly does help us to avoid a number of troubles. It doesn't make our lives trouble-free. In fact, right. some, some people, their lives become noticeably more difficult after becoming believers than before, you know. Um, I, I really liked how uh, the Expositor's Bible Commentary summarized the purpose of Proverbs. They said, uh, the book of Proverbs is a marvelous collection of wise sayings and instructions for living a useful and effective life. So mm -hmm. whether those come in the, I don't think they're saying, you know, you know, as you were warning against that everything is like, you know, do this, but they're observations, they're insights that equip us to become more uh, useful and effective in being representatives of, of Yahweh. Uh, right. Absolutely. Um, 
Okay, so we're actually in this first go. John and I are sitting down and we're going to uh, do probably a bunch of recording all at once, maybe more than one session, we'll see. But in this series, we're actually not going to go through the entire book of Proverbs without break. We're going to go through chapters 1 through 5 in this over the course of this series. Then we'll take a break and I think we'll do James, the entire book of James after that. Then we'll come back and do some more Proverbs. Uh, then probably another book of the Bible, then come back. So we're kind of alternate and take Proverbs kind of in chunks because there is... You you know, the, the potential to kind of zone out or tune out, you know, yeah. if you stay, especially when you get later to the couplets, like you were talking about, John, then uh, it can be easy to kind of tune out if you stay there for too long. So for the sake of, of freshness, um, we're gonna, that's the way we're going to approach it. Um, and we're just going to take a run at like basically a chunk of verses at a time that I'll read from the ESV translation. And then we'll just open it up between me and John to see kind of what our reactions are and what we've uh, read and learned as we've looked at these verses in advance and, and just kind of share some of our observations. So, um, okay, so Proverbs 1, we'll uh, look at the, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. In the ESV, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who under understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, um, there you have it, one through seven of uh, chapter one. Any, anything jump out at you there? Uh, well, a ton of it, a ton of things. Um, well, first of all, obviously, we get the authorship of of the book of Proverbs. And, and, and you would think in in that first verse, there's probably not much there to, to talk about. But remember, original language, when someone hears the name Solomon, what they hear is peaceful because that's how it translates. Mm. And and so when you think about, that's one of the things that to, to keep in mind as we go through here, if you want to live a peaceful life, if you want to live in peace with God, mm. here are some ways to do it. Uh, son of David, that obviously has, has tons of connotations, um, you know, Christological connotations, um, and also it, it shows that he is the rightful heir and king of Israel. Mm. Um, so, so there is a lot there. And then Solomon goes into what the purpose of Proverbs is. So he says, hey, I'm Solomon. I wrote this. Here's why I wrote it. And just like if you were writing a, a, a modern self-help book, what's the first thing you would do? This is who I am. This is why I have authority to write this. Here's why I wrote it. And then you would go on and give and start giving your advice with, with examples and things like that. And so he mentions a number of things here uh, to, to know wisdom. You know, we live in an information age and facts and figures do not equal wisdom. And I think a lot of people feel like just because they have a little smartphone that they can look anything up. Yeah. Hey, look, I'm smart because yeah. I have a smartphone. <laughs> or, <laughs> well, you're wise. You don't know how to use that information. And a lot of times that information can be, can be misused. Mm. Um, and so, so that's pretty important. He talks about perceiving understanding. Um, 
and, and I talked about that earlier about how when you're looking at these verses, it's not just a matter of reading it, but you really need to look look deep. You know, when 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 you're being, when you're perceiving something, you're not just glancing at it or passing over it. You're looking at it with with intent. Um, receiving wisdom. So when you hear this, you'll gain wisdom. Just so, just so many people know, I may be using phrases that are from the New King James Version because that's what I used when I, when I put 90% of my notes together. So it, it usually lines up with the ESV, the New King James and the ESV usually, usually line up. So if something doesn't line up, just, you know, say something. Uh, and then, um, you know, I, I, I looked here, the New English Translation where it says uh, about, about receiving wisdom it says that this is uh, instruction for skillful living, and and that is that is something that that gives us, you know, many many kids, and I know this because I've raised a couple of them. <laughs> <laughs> many kids go out into the world with a lot of information, but they don't know how to use that information hmm. uh, properly. And, and one of the things that I hope to do, that I hope I've done with my kids, is taught them how to gather information, process it, and then and then use it correctly. And I have a little note here that I, I like to, uh, verses 1 through 6, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Yeah. You know, it's solving the riddles of life. Mm. Uh I wish when I was younger I had paid a little bit closer attention to Proverbs because there were a lot of riddles I would have solved a lot sooner mm. uh, as a, as a young person, and then uh, the the fear of uh, the fear of of the Lord being the beginning of knowledge and how that fools despise wisdom and instruction and and as we go along in Proverbs you'll hear a lot about the scoffer and the person the person who scoffs at God and scoffs at wisdom. We're going to hear a lot about. Uh, that person who has hardened their heart so much that when they hear wisdom, they they can't even receive it. And so hopefully, as we're going through this and as, as people are listening or watching this, uh, they their heart is being softened and, and is, it is turning into good ground for the seed of the word. And I think that's probably about it without going into too much uh, depth here. Yeah. And well, and on that last point, you know, how we're going to see more about this, uh, the, the scoffer, and that's going to be contrasted with the wise or the righteous, you know, that we are dealing with these kind of archetypes here. And so it's a, it's a good idea as we're reading through to not like think to myself, well, I'm glad I'm not that guy. You know, he's evil right. through and through and stuff. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. but I think, but I yeah. think we, we, we ought to ask ourselves, okay, how much do I line up with the archetype of the wise and the righteous? And how much and how often am I lining up with uh, the scoffer, you know, or with the wicked or whatever, you know? Right. And, and the interesting thing about Proverbs is, although it is uh, certainly one of the, it's considered one of the, one of the books of wisdom along with Job and Psalms and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomons, but it's also a very poetic book. Yeah. It, it, is, it, it uses a lot of imagery, and it's important to note that um, when, you know, 
because sometimes even in English we'll we'll take poetic license when we're when we're talking about a situation. You know, oh yeah, I I went for a run the other day and it was so hot I almost died. Now maybe <laughs> yeah. you really did almost die because it's 115 degrees outside <laughs> and you didn't bring any water with you. But most more than likely you really didn't almost die. And 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 that there's a lot of that in Proverbs. When we talk about something leading to death, yeah. uh, it doesn't mean that if you do this, in five minutes you're going to be dead. Mm -hmm. It's it, it's poetry. It's it's meant to shock you mm -hmm. and and consider your actions yeah. so that those things don't happen later. Yep. Yep. Um, I let's see what jumped out to me here. Um... The word, you know, the word wisdom is is interesting to me. I, I I'm not going to say much on it now, but I think it's interesting how, you know, you can you can go to a lexicon and and it's kind of like the word like the the word for blessed or happy. You can go to a Hebrew lexicon, you'll get the base definition, but it's really only through seeing it repeatedly used in context that you understand. It's like there's this building definition of what it means to be wise, you know. And like one of the right. first building blocks they give here is that the fear of Yahweh. That's the beginning. You start there if you want to understand what wisdom is. You fear mm -hmm. Yahweh, you know. Um, and uh, let's see here. I like in verse 4 and 5, you know, how we see that Proverbs are for everybody. Um, they, uh, they give prudence and knowledge and, and uh, discretion to the, to the beginner. And they increase knowledge and guidance for those who have already developed some wisdom. So no matter where we're at, mm -hmm. this is a book that we can come back to again and again. Uh, I appreciate you bringing out the difference between... Um, having a, a, a powerful intellect and, you know, and knowing how to use that knowledge and apply it to life. I think that's a huge uh, point of distinction. Um, you know, the idea of fearing Yahweh has the potential, I think, for some knee-jerk reactions to one extreme or the other. I think that a fire and brimstone preacher can emphasize it to the detriment of understanding God's love and yeah. compassion. On the other hand, from what I've come to understand, it is more than just uh respect you know how sometimes we you know we want to like ease off and say well you know uh we don't you know want to be terrified of god so it's just respect it's just respect well you know it's it's more than just respect you know um comparing it to uh the f and i also think the problem it gets problematic when we try to compare it to the fear that one has for like your father's discipline because there's that's a sketchy metaphor because so many people have had really bad experiences with their father yeah. so the um I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but the Expositor's Bible Commentary says the word for fear when referring to God, quote, captures both aspects of shrinking back in fear and of drawing close in awe. Um, mm. It's not a trembling dread that paralyzes action, but neither is it a polite reverence, you know. Um, mm. Do you have any thoughts on the idea of fearing God and, and how that's the beginning point for, for gaining wisdom? Um, you know, just that it's one of those things where if, if, if you're really going to tap into who God is, you need to be aware of all of what he, I mean, and I know we can't know all, but, but we need to recognize both sides of who God is. And, and I think it was Right, the, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. When C.S. Lewis writes about Aslan, you yeah. know about how how he's both beautiful and dreadful at the same time, and that's that is God. Yeah. You know, he's not a tame uh, lion, but he's good. 
But he's you know, good, which yeah. Which is really interesting to sit in that tension of, it's like, oh man, my life might totally hit the fan, and yet the guy that's ultimately allowing that to happen or bringing some things about is good and he can be trusted. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. like, ugh. I mean, think think about when you go to the zoo and you see a wild animal, and whether whether it's, you know, on the other side of glass or across a moat or whatever, you look at the animal over there, and it's just so majestic, and it looks wonderful until they're ready to feed it. <laughs> and, and once they feed that animal, you see how fierce it is mm. and and how powerful it is. Mm. And I think it's the same way with God. There are times when we look at him and we see his majesty and his grace and his mercy, and then there are other times when we look at him and we say, Wow, he really does hold my life in his hands, yeah. in my hand. You know, my, my life is held in his hands, and it's his to control. And and he determines what happens in my life. And that's that's that fear. That's that we're in awe of who yeah. he is, but we also recognize that, you know, for whatever reason, in his will, he has determined the beginning and the end of my life and when it and and everything that happens in between it. And so we 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 live in that 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 i like to call it deep reverence mm. uh because because of the how we recognize and 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 realize his power yeah. in in our lives Incoming transmission. This week, a YouTube viewer emailed me and asked, um, what scriptures and sources would you recommend for a teaching on homosexuality and transgender? I have a feeling it's going to come up at a youth camp I'm directing in two weeks. I want to be prepared. Thanks and God bless. Um, I wrote back to them and I'll just share my, uh, what I, what I'm sharing with you guys. Um, I, I I just sigh because I'm like that. Yeah, I can totally imagine how that would come up, and I totally do not uh, envy anybody who has to be prepared, really, on a moment's notice to you know engage with that topic with a uh, a group that, especially at their stage of life, might be uh, extra volatile or emotional or just woof. That's that's uh, so. Anyway, um, may God like bless and equip you as you're doing that work. That's that's fantastic work to be involved in. Um, but really super, super challenging. I don't have any particular resources or scripture to recommend on the topic of homosexuality and transgender issues. My recommendation would be to do a word search for homosexual at a place like blueletterbible.com and just look at the occurrences of the word uh, in scripture and study both the original language word used, which you can do with the tools at blueletterbible.com and uh, understand... what was meant by the use of that word in the original languages, and then also get a sense of the context of its use, especially in the New Testament. Um, I mean, there's definitely some interpretational stuff that can can make applying the Old Testament uh, instances where homosexual, homosexuality is talked about um, a little bit. There's just an added layer of filtering and interpretation that uh, that I think needs to be done when you're looking at this topic in the Old Testament. So I really recommend as much as possible leaning on what the New Testament says on the topic. It just, it just kind of cuts out a middleman, as it were. Um, so anyway, doing a word search at a place like blueletterbible.com and with a focus on the New Testament, where the word homosexual occurs... Um, 
And you might have to search, I didn't put this in my email, but you might have to search using multiple translations because some translations use the word homosexual and some translations maybe use the word effeminate. I can't remember that. I think there's a different word that some translations use, so you actually wouldn't see that word show up in depending on which translation you're using. But uh, really the key that we want to get at is not the word uh, is not the word homosexual, but what the original Greek word was and, and, uh, and, and what's going on there, what's actually being commanded, what... Uh, human condition is being talked about and so the getting as close as you can to the original language is really helpful uh, on a topic like this. Some key things that have come out of that kind of study for me are number one <clears throat> it's not the predisposition that the Bible condemns but the pursuit of it just like we are not judged for having other sinful tendencies towards, say, greed or drunkenness, God does not pronounce judgment on those who feel a tendency towards same-sex attraction. Rather, God forbids acting on those tendencies in either thought or deed. Uh, the predisposition for homosexual attraction, just like alcoholism, um, a predisposition toward drunkenness, essentially, uh, that may easily be a natural manifestation of our broken condition after the fall. Uh, while there is hope for those with these feelings to experience a change uh, with the right help, the broken state of humanity and our world means that many will have to live with difficult battles uh, like that one and temptations that others don't have to face. Um, and that's a hard, hard reality that I think demands our compassion. Um, the second key thing that has come out of uh, that kind of study for me is that homosexual behavior is serious, but is not identified as being more offensive than other sexual sin. That's not, I, I've not been able to find that. Um, so it's important that Christians teach and learn the truth about it, but not give it like this uncalled for degree of emphasis. <clears throat> and like everyone else who uh, struggles with sin, that means all of us, those believers that are dealing with same-sex attraction should still be welcomed and encouraged to stay connected to other believers in a local church. Um, and, and church discipline should only come into play if someone is unrepentant in acting on that sin, such as in the case of, say, unrepentant use of pornography or some other recurring sin committed without any remorse. I think that's the, the mode we need to be in on this issue. Um, now that I think of it, I might recommend looking at Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 33, which we've been through uh, on the podcast, and I kind of brought some things out that I saw in the text there that uh, were kind of revealing about the nature of uh, sexual intimacy and its purpose. Near the end there in those verses, Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, and arguably before that as well, um, there are some details about the nature and purpose of human sexuality. It isn't just meant to be whatever two consenting adults want to make it. It's meant for marriage between a man and a woman, and only in that context does it fulfill its intended purpose as a symbol of Christ and his relationship with the church. Um, I think the more we see sexual intimacy um, with that purpose in mind... Um, then that can be a real helpful guide to us, whether we're dealing with uh, homosexual attraction tendencies or other kinds of uh, just uh, unhealthy, um, off-course ideas about sex and and uh, and it, and our involvement in uh, in sexual intimacy in different contexts. So, um, anyway, that's the best I have to offer right now. I hope that helps, and um, uh, to that. 
to that uh, viewer. May God bless and equip you again for the ministry you're doing. It sounds like a great opportunity. Um, all right, feedback, feedback. Give me your thoughts, guys, on this podcast, Christian Geek Central, the YouTube channel, or anything else we're doing. What should we keep? What should we change? Or what's on your mind you'd like a potentially uninformed opinion on? We want to make this show and all of Christian Geek Central as fun and useful as we can, but we have to hear from you to do that. You can send an email or audio file recorded on your phone to P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com. And again, as a reminder, guys, if you'd like some help finding a good church in your area. I want to help you if I can. Online resources and communities like Christian Geek Central are a good supplement, but by nature they cannot speak to your particular situation like relationships in a local church can. Sometimes when I'm preparing content and teaching or whatever it is, you know, I... I, prepare my thoughts and I will write down in my notes like kind of a broad statement and I can just imagine in my mind someone saying yes but but in my situation yes but in my situation and it's it's hard to 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 write knowing that there are um there's just nuance to a lot of these things out there you know and so if we're only interacting um with teaching and equipping and encouragement that's coming from like a content creator, whether it's me or any anybody else that's creating content that's for this for an audience rather than for an individual person, it's not going to be able to speak to your particular situation in the same way that a relationship with someone in a local church can. So that's why I've I've put put it in my podcast notes to really touch on this every week on the podcast. Um, I just see that the context for almost everything in the New Testament, if you read through it, assumes that we are serving and building purposeful relationships in a local church. So whether you're in a church that just kind of lacks Bible-based intentionality or you're not attending any church at all, if I can help you get connected to an authentic, Bible-oriented church, I want to do that. You can email me at p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com and we can at least try to look at some websites of churches in your area together. All right, well, I want to thank Katya from the Netherlands for her review of uh, Mission Trip. Thank you very much for that, Katya. Uh, Coming up next, hey, if you guys want to know the definitive pronunciation of uh, Jadzia, Jadzia, or I think actually now that I think I think it's Jadzia, Jadzia Dax. But anyway, if you want to know definitively, you should listen to Matt McKinney talk about <laughs> Deep Space Nine in our Deep Space Nine shawarma segment, which is at the uh, after the credits of every uh, uh, podcast. So he would know definitively. Just listen. I'm sure it'll come up. <laughs> in the next one or two. Uh, So anyway, stay tuned for DS9 Shawarma after the credits um, or jump back to episode 400 if you want to start from the beginning. As a reminder, you can find episodes 0 through 500 of this podcast archived as the Spirit Blade Underground podcast at spiritblade.com. Next week, if God allows it, I'll be sharing my review of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Looking forward to that. As well as sharing an article from our friends at Speculative Faith and we'll take a look at what shows up next on the Christian Geek Radar. Till then, please consider supporting the work of Christian Geek Central and Spirit Blade Productions by purchasing an audio drama with the sale we have going on right now at spiritblade.com or leaving a donation or becoming a Spirit Blade insider. You can get more information from our about page at spiritblade.com. Thank you guys so much for making time for this show. I hope you have a great week and that you'll join me next time here on the Christian Geek Central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth. Ah! <laughs>
Christian Geek Central podcast is a community-supported endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Peter Fremson with support from the Christian Geek Central community at ChristianGeekCentral.com. For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit SpiritBlade.com. Thank you for listening. The Dominion has endured for 2,000 years and will continue to endure long after the Federation has crumbled into dust. Five years ago, no one had ever heard of Bejor or Deep Space Nine, and now... all our hopes rest here. And so we just finished watching A Simple Investigation... I would say one of the most average episodes of Star Trek that is out there. Yeah, sadly it's, that's the description of an average. It's not It's not at all bad. There's nothing wretched or painful. It's not really boring. It moves at a decent pace. It's just so average. And what's weird is that you can say that when it doesn't feature a lot of the standard Trek cliches. That's part of what makes it average. It doesn't have anything that makes you go, oh, you don't groan at it. You yeah. just kind of watch it and okay. You take it as it is. It's it's like being in a sensory deprivation chamber, yeah. sort of. As you might guess from the title, this is an Odo featuring episode. And he's probably the standout of this, is that he really is playing this well. Uh, long story short, because there are some twists we don't want to give away, Odo encounters a woman who's in trouble, and uh, he decides to help her uh, as, a, as a witness, and it goes on and on, and a romance begins between them. And this is basically... Odo trying to have a romance with someone who's not Kira. Um, and the woman playing, was it Marissa's her name, I think? Arissa. Arissa. Um, she is not at all bad, but she is not at all great either. She's very bland. Yes, and you could say that's a very meta thing given where she goes by the end of the story, but I don't think so. I think it's just that the actress is of moderate ability. When she's not playing extreme yeah. emotion, she's fine. But when she's supposed to be emoting, when she's supposed to be, you know, like... She has one line where she turns away and paces towards the window, and I think the line is something like... I can't believe I got myself yeah, into this. Yeah, I can't this. believe I got myself into this. And she says it like this. Oh, I can't believe I got myself into this. And it's like, no, 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 you should put some bloody emotion in it, woman. And, yeah. And again, she's not bad. She's not like... She's not only these painfully unskilled actors, and she does fine. It's just her voice, and she has a very even voice. She never raises her voice. She's always in this kind of breathy, neutral zone. You know. And you know, at first you might have thought, well, you know, maybe she was hired more for her looks because the the show keeps going out of the way to talk about people say, oh, she's pretty, she's hot, she's, she's not a knockout, particularly and hot. she's not at all unattractive. Don't get me wrong; she's plenty pretty, but she's not in a standout pretty. She's kind of like Joan Allen. If you know who she is, or, you know... Yeah, she's not a stare-across-the-room, pick-your-jaw-up-off-the-floor yeah. hot. She doesn't stand out. She doesn't have a unique feature. Uh, yeah, she just... Everything around her is very medium. And like I said, that's not a bad thing. That's just very medium. Um, probably, I would say, the best moment of the episode, though, is a comedy moment. Is If you remember, Dr. Bashir has his spy program. <laughs> and so at the very beginning of the episode, they're talking about Odo, Dax, O'Brien, and Bashir are going to go on this, do the spy thing. They're going to go on the holodeck and assume various roles. And yeah. O'Brien doesn't want to be Falcon. He's always Falcon because that's who he was in the Bond episode. 
the bad guy, and O'Brien wants to do something else. Well, I don't think O'Brien even gets to be the primary bad guy. He gets to be a henchie. Yeah, he gets to yeah. be yeah the head henchman. He's odd job. Woo. Only without the hat. <laughs> um, but what's funny is, I mean, that's amusing enough that he's like, I never get to be anyone good and all that. But then at the very end, or well, in, later in the scene, Odo comes to Bashir for advice about women. I'll let your stomach churn at that concept for a moment. <laughs> but I'll go, Bashir has gotten a lot better than he used to be. So he goes and visits Bashir in the holodeck. And he's riding in a limo, romancing the, the hollow the lady. Girl. And, yeah, he's getting, getting, getting ready to get some, and Odo interrupts him. He just comes and knocks on the door. And you know, he's just standing there, and then Bashir has it's ruined. It. Then Bashir says, "Driver, pull over," which was awesome because then there was a maybe a chance that maybe they were already parked. Nope, they were supposed to be driving, and so Odo just came in and little imperfections yeah. in the holodeck. He yeah. just ruined the fantasy, which I like that. We were talking about that watching this. I like when moments in the in the holodeck when you see the seams because it reminds you that no matter how elaborate this is, this is a big setup. This is a fantasy, a simulation. It's not we're making a whole world out here that functions and everything. Sometimes Star Trek acts like they're making this whole functional world, and it's really stupid. Far better to say it's an elaborate video game because that's all it is. It's just a really detailed one. But like I say, that and what's sad is that that's probably the most the best thing to talk about about the show is that one little scene. It was just it was just fun, nothing big. Um, yeah, the main episode is just your standard, you know, cop protects a woman, falls in love with her. It's the bodyguard. It's you know we've seen that many times before. It's nothing too special. It's not bad. It's not hacky or it's not painfully awful. And and Rene Auberjonois. Uh, he's he's really good, and this was a good performance as Odo because you saw a lot of depth to what he's doing. Well, and he, he always brings the performance goods, but I think part of it is that this plays to his strengths. He's very good at quiet emotions. And pathos. Yeah, he's very good at standing there think about what it was like if you realizing how much it hurts him even though he's only showing a little bit of it on his face well if you saw him in the patriot you get an idea because he plays a very, character very similar to the way he played him in the patriot he was in the mel gibson movie the patriot he was the pastor who came along and joined the group and he was one of my favorite characters in that not not least which is because i call him pastor odo but uh you know it's the same thing he just has this very gruff even tempered kind of a thing and you know like i say there's nothing too you know, all the other guest stars are adequate for what they need to be. It's it's just such an average episode. Not at all bad, but... Fun little moments of seeing the rest of the crew gossiping slash kindly meddling in Odo's life. And and again, it's just... You don't need to watch this episode, but it's not, her, it's not one of these painful ones where it's like you wish it hadn't been there. It's a filler episode. If you like Odo as a character, it's a nice character piece for him. If you don't care, you can skip it and you won't miss any. But other than Odo in the future referencing that he's had romance in the past and this being his only real romance until Kira, that's about it. Well, except for Jello Goopin with the changeling chick. Well, yeah, but that wasn't really a romance. That's, yeah. that's what their race does. It, they, they, they make clear. He's, even Odo in this episode says it's the closest he can think of to a sexual encounter. And he says it's not sexual, it's just kind well, of I'm like think, that. I'm thinking more later when he meets her again. They're having something that, to my mind, seems more like sex. Yeah. Time. But even but, then, it's in a clinical. But anyway, yeah. we'll get to that when we get to that. Uh, yeah, not much more to say about this one. 
Um, it's probably the only time we ever see Odo without a shirt on, and except for when he's a humanoid, which has already passed. And Odo has nipples, which I would not have expected. He would have taken the time to give himself nipples. But And I would have thought that they would have taken the time to cover him up just for that little detail. Yeah. Usually the makeup job is better at that kind of thing. So that's about it. Next time we'll see a much better episode. Um, business as usual. It's a cork episode. Ooh, yeah, it's a, good it's a good episode. It's one that's often forgotten by people, but it really deserves your attention. We'll talk about it next time. See you then. Bye.